Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, men and women, non-conformers and non-believers, gender X and gender equals, welcome to Eat the Storms, the poetry podcast on Spotify, Anchor, Apple, Google, Breaker, Podbean, Pocketcast, Overcast, Castbox, Player FM, Breaker and many more podcast platforms, seemingly. My name is Damien B. Donnelly and I'm delighted to be your host and producer and welcome you to episode 15 of season 2. The final episode of this season, but fear not, for we will be back again in less than a month's time with season 3. And in the meantime, there is all of season 1 and season 2 available to listen to on your preferred podcast platform, including last week's two-hour epic celebration of poetry in Ireland for Poetry Day Ireland, which has proved to be one of our most loved episodes next to the Christmas and Valentine specials. So a huge thank you to all the listeners who tuned in and a huge thank you to last week's fantastic 15 guest stars. This week is no exception. It might be the last episode, but we are going out with a bang. We have dragonflies of creativity nibbling kitty cats high teas with the first lady of the magnifying glass, springtimes in southern shores and ferris wheels of Gorky parks, the last orders in a season of solastalgia, elephants in bedrooms, the west side of Wito Moreno, a man in the moon, and surprisingly, a visit to Aldi to end the show. So sit back. Strap yourself in, whether you're in slippers, sandals, or a saucy little strapless shoe. This is Eat the Storms. Now, let's get on with the show. As this is now the final episode of season two, and we're also on the early days of the season of summer, although sometimes still shivering in the shade of spring, I'm going to start today's show by reading a poem I wrote last year that was inspired by the flora on the local lanes here in Lusk in North County Dublin that suddenly became the thing to notice when attention turned from trivial to the comfort we found in all that was natural. This is called Don't Forget the Flora. And like a folly comes the flora. Spring kisses almost forgotten in the fall. Fuchsia blushes on side lanes. Distractions to divert us from gathering dust. Mountain avens unfurl over banks once bound to bland. Dryas descending, oak from Greek, openings of moon-white sunbursts on low lands. Wild flowers raise dizzying heads, hidden under hedges and baying upon forest bed. Doves can come in deadly at certain corners. Careful of columbine, Granny's nightcap tipped in poison, unfolding five petals of vulture as violets, growing voluptuous, though she trembles as step approaches. Occasionally, on coast roads, sea pinks sprout bright blossoms over ditches, Trifts wrestling with rushes riding on songs of the sea. Songs that call to home. Everything has its time on the tide. Its rise to the light. Colour comes in from careful corners like moments making their way back to memory. Fragrances ignite in fields once crossed and later rekindled, after the season settled into something else. As side lanes of lied light come alive under shadow, Wicked in their willingness to be wild.
My first guest on today's show has been a wonderful supporter of this podcast and has ensured that my stickleback collection, published by the Hedgehog Poetry Press in January of this year, made it all the way to Canada. So thank you very much for that. He is an English professor who lives in London, Canada, and has had over 40 poems published in journals and anthologies, and has even had his poetry included in the State of Texas Assessment of Academic Readiness. With tales of dragons and kitty cats, I am delighted to welcome to Eat the Storms for the first, but hopefully not the last time, the wonderful Ryan Gibbs. Thank you, Damien, for inviting me on to Eat the Storms. I have enjoyed the many poets featured here and am honoured to be included among them. I am reading from my home here in London, Canada, and I will be sharing four of my published poems spanning 15 years. My first poem is one of my earliest, published in Unlocking the Muse by Beret Days Press. When I look back on the poem, I am reminded of the challenges in writing poetry and the distance that often still exists between the written word and the imagination. The poem is called Taming the Dragon. A ferocious beast lives inside my mind, devouring everything that enters inside. And when it roars, I hold my head in vivid agony. I throb my beset temples, but it claws at their foundations. Unable to confine the brute to my cerebral recesses, I drive it through the bloodied ink of my double-edged pen. Dragon. My creation is trapped behind this verbal vault. The lines will not bend, and I cannot break the lock. Running callous fingers over peeled letters, I feel no texture. Have I slain the dragon? My next poem is featured in a new literary magazine from California called Turbulence and Coffee, a collection of aviation-themed poems and stories. When I consider the many restrictions imposed under lockdown, one that I regret is the inability to travel, and I have written many poems recently on the places I had visited before COVID. This particular poem captures the escapism often included in my poetry through the experience of overseas flight. The poem is called Into the Sky. Clenched hands from takeoff released. Sudden thoughts of upcoming meetings fall from care in one long breath. Outside cabin window, traffic lights flow like a mesmeric stream, fading into flickering stars. Counting them lures you into sleep till you reach tranquil clouds high above the earth. As a hot air balloon over Segovia, beyond medieval castles, into fabled dreams. This third poem was written early on in the pandemic. I was fortunate to have been prompted to write pandemic poems by 845 Press here in London, Canada. And for their anthology, June 2020, they were looking for poems with positive elements, as at the time, the first lockdown had been going on for months with negative impacts on vulnerable communities. My stepmother had sent me a newspaper article explaining the many different meanings of the term corona, and I was struck by the positive associations with the term prior to coronavirus. I then blended these images into a poem of hope. I was glad to not only have the poem included in the anthology, but also to have it on display at a vaccination site in nearby Sarnia. The poem is called Corona for Catherine. Grand church chandeliers, risen among high cornices, bending the light, a circle around the sun, an angel's trumpet inside a yellow daffodil. This final poem is a children's poem. The story behind the poem is that it is about my cat, Casablanca, 
but the story after the poem is interesting too. The poem was included in a small press collection here in Canada by Neil Harding McAllister and Zara McAllister called Poems for Big Kids, and I was happy to have it published. A few years later, though, I received an email from a company in New York asking me to license the poem to the state of Texas for its assessment on academic readiness. I was taken aback by the email, and after I verified its legitimacy, I began exciting contract negotiations for licensing the poem, and I have made more money from this poem than from all of my other poems combined. When I think back about this experience, I am reminded that we never know how far our poems will travel or who they will reach. Here is my poem simply called My Kitty Cat for Cassie. My kitty cat is black and white. She sleeps all day and plays all night. At dawn, she knows when to be fed and walks atop my sleepy head. Once she finally gets her food, she soon adopts a happy mood. Then finding the chair she likes best, she stretches out to take a rest. When the watchful sun fades away, Kitty knows it is time to play. She hunts me down throughout the house as though I were a hiding mouse. She bats my pen and starts to fight, making it hard for me to write. When I at last can take no more, she hits my pen across the floor. I go to bed and start to doze with Kitty nibbling at my toes. She licks my feet to make amends, letting me know we are still friends. Thank you again, Damien, for inviting me onto this podcast, and thank you everyone for listening. Next up on the show today, we have a returning guest who has not only accompanied me poetically, but has also accompanied me over the weekends in terms of cooking, and herself and her wife have developed some delicious treats to dive into while enjoying Eat the Storms. She lives with her wife in North Wales, is the author of the exceptional Magnifying Glass poetry collection, which was published by Black Eyes Publishing in October 2020 has appeared in numerous online magazines and I am so glad that she is back with us here today for the final episode of season two. Dear listeners, find yourself a comfy chair, a glass of wine and cut yourself a decent slice of cake for I'm giving you the freshly risen cooking cuisine skills and poetic talents of Sue Finch. Hello Damien and thank you so much for having me back on Eat the Storms. I love your podcast And I love the fact that you have put tea and cake back firmly on the menu for Saturday afternoons. I have some poems to share with you. And the first one I'd like to read is from my debut collection, which is called Magnifying Glass. And this poem is about something which happened when I was younger. It's called My Man in the Moon. Lying in bed, I picked at the anaglypta jammed my fingernails with paper and paste. Stroking the grainy grey surface, I remembered Sunday's porridge, how its tempting smell had lied about the taste. I got lost in the thought that milky oats could stick paper, that husks could be the wallpaper's bumps. Time passed in touching and picking. I found friction. Mesmerised by the heat, I rubbed my fingertips hotter, as if I might smooth my prints. I watched the crumb-like drop of disintegrating plaster. Then a crescent was there with a nose. I smiled as I picked him out, my man in the moon. I carved his shape with the lid of a blue biro, coloured him in with felt-tip pens. That night I slept facing the wall, ready to show my mum in the morning. But night's darkness stole my colours, faded red to pink turned black to tabby brown. Mum was sparse with words. I looked through a film of tears, saw his sinister grin. This next poem is the title poem from the collection, so it's called Magnifying Glass. Making sure his head does not cast a shadow, my brother orders me quiet. 
Watch, he says. He has been experimenting for days with the magnifying glass they bought him. Now he aims the sun's rays, narrowing, intensifying, targeting. His control is powerful. Between the faraway sky and us on the ground, he is manipulating light, tightening it. He burns ants, trapped in dips in the wood, set in charcoal circles side by side. He starts then on newspaper. The heat bites crescents in the edges, like a hot-jawed leaf-cutter ant. Smoke rises, lifting its smell, just before orange tongues elongate and lap. Amazingly, it kites up, up, over our fence into the sky. I stand beside, yet behind him, staring up into the space that he loves and I do not understand. This poem is called The Seventh Car Will Be His. Only when her brother came to kneel too could she exhale the sigh that needed to escape from the jail of her two taut lungs. It will be all right, he said, sparing her a glance. Are you sure? she asked, not looking. The seventh car will be his, he replied. Silently she stared, watching all movement. Next door's Tatty Tabby sat on the curb, washing methodically behind his ears. A crisp packet, encouraged by the wind that brought the rain, turned a somersault, and she wondered if it felt its freedom. Time had halted in their house since last night. She knew she did not want to see the truth. The truth was hanging in the garden shed, the dead rabbit waiting to be skinned, claret red blood dropped from its nose, supposedly concealed by half a blanket. Multiples of seven came and went. They sat watching, waiting, not yet crying, suspended like the lifeless hanging pet. So that collection of my poetry, Magnifying Glass, really focused on my journey from childhood to adulthood. And I'm hoping that my next collection will focus on finding my voice. One of the poems which I'm hoping will be in it is called Silence, and this is it. Silence stands in the hallway all night, says she doesn't need to sleep. In the morning she is in the chair waiting. Sometimes she smiles and I think she gave me the dream about meeting Dolly Parton for the sound check. Sometimes she is so aloof, I imagine she sent me the handless mob lumbering towards me, blooded boxing gloves where fingers should have been. She has birdsong in her, sends the call of a bittern to make me laugh after she has taken me to the darkest silence. Once she tapped me on the shoulder at 3am, handed me the car keys got in the car with me and directed me to a forest. She took me over a stile to the darkened path where we could not see our feet and the bumps and gnarls of roots sat under the mud. Before my eyes adjusted, she stopped me, stood with me, to hear the last owl and the first blackbird. Once she wrote me a note, folded it and put my name on it so she could watch me open it and read. I am your shadow, it said, in a spidery hand. Her drawings tattooed the page, a tarnished axe, a holly bush, all its leaves on the ground, and a coffin. Thank you, Damien. I've loved being invited back. On the show today, I am delighted to have two poets joining us because of our recent guest, Carlos Sevilla from the Philippines, who graced us with his fantastic poetry just a few weeks ago. The first of these two guests is from Kingston, New York, is an associate of the Institute for Writing and Thinking at Barb College, has published four chapbooks, the most recent of which was called The Dark Inside My Hooded Coat, published by Finishing Line Press in 2018. 
She is currently getting ready to launch her first full-length book later this month. So today, I am thrilled to welcome to Eat the Storms with tales of Vermeer, Matisse and Picasso, the exquisite Mayor Leonard. Hello, this is Mayor Leonard and I'll be reading some poems all influenced by the visual or art and I reside in Kingston, New York. Uh, the first one, upside down. <clears throat> Notice what happens if you turn Vermeer's girl reading a letter upside down. Do you see the young woman's face in the window pane? Do you notice the frame of red and green or what's absent? Do you imagine the girl wanting to escape the thick walls, the ripe fruit? Do you feel her desire to tear off the stiff satin of that blue dress, to be with her lover under the moonlight? Don't you wanna see, don't you really wanna see? The girl turned to Vermeer insisting, do something quick. My tight braids are digging into my still life. Voyeurs, after viewing Picasso's Le Reve, Marie Therese at 17, wakes from an erotic dream, moves her fingers over and under her body. We watch Marie Therese shift, see her eyes close, her hips lift. She spreads out on a divan. She stretches over the canvas. We hear lullabies. Sweet Marie, sweet. He rocks the egg, he moves his brush, Picasso's soft touch shakes her yearnings. She rolls into life far from Pablo's hands. Madame Matisse in a Japanese robe. What is this gray blue silk draped longer than my feet? If I scowl, two snakes sneak across my perfect oval face. Hiss at Henri. The market closes at midi. I need two ripe apricots for dejeuner. Must cater to all his needs. Henri hides behind his canvas. I peel off slimy silk, escape into blue, sunny air. On April 4th, I sat in the lobby of Mount Sinai, across from Central Park, held captive by a sea of pink. All the cherry trees were in bloom. I didn't want to leave. Memories of mom and dad taking me and Sissy to see the trees, to feed the pigeons, to skip to the swings. Our son texts, baby Ellis born, Brahman fine, come right away. Ellis, sweetness supreme. In 2020, 14 field hospitals emerge overnight on the west side of the park, far from cherry trees, but facing John Lennon's strawberry fields forever. Young musicians gather six feet apart to sing love, 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 while doctors hold their patients' hands. This is a quote from Albert Camus. There have been as many plagues as wars in history, yet always plagues and wars take people equally by surprise. My pen does not move down the page. Air moves in a clear sky. The gold leaves shake, swirl, never fall. Turkey vultures spread wings, dive toward carrion, scream. After two shots of the vaccine, my pen moves like a bullet train. Words speed, crisscross over the page. We celebrate with hugs, a keg of beer, barbecued ribs, dance like lunatics with grandkids. My favorite country to visit is Ireland, and I hope to get back there soon. Before I introduce the next guest, I'm going to follow on from Mera's poems of Matisse, Picasso and Vermeer, and read a poem inspired by Vincent van Gogh and his sunflowers. I did live in Amsterdam for 10 years and was a regular visitor to the Van Gogh Museum there, but this painting I found in London. And this poem is from my Stickleback collection, considering canvases with boys. It is called Van Gogh Visions. 
sometimes I stopped by to sit and wonder how you didn't change while I clung to the edge of the seat to keep myself within the skin I was shedding like those petals hanging onto your brushstrokes though they never met the finality of their fate. Octopus-like tentacles vaulting from vase too heavy to be held upright sagging as I did when I came in, when I came to that seat with the city rushing in after, up those tourist-trodden steps, panting through the wooden doors, shaking off the sweat and spit of the dulled streets within this space where time had stopped. Colour considered on canvas, Sharpened blends of rounded pigments popping on windswept, weather-worn, heavy heads. Petals already peeled back to their pips, as if missing things like companions, connections, the right to be seen, an ear to be heard. Dutchman. Drawing dying flowers in France, choking at the dinner table and failing at everything in life, even at life. But for the canvas and its ageing yellows burning into ochre, orange-coloured kisses and eager green stems holding hundreds of seeds, holding hope, resurrection, introspection. Bright mornings of soft butter caught in hayfields before the crows came to London too. Heavy strokes of paint radiating like halos to fill the hole left after all the lights went out. After all the feet continued up and over our bodies lying in the fields. My next guest on Eat the Storms today is no stranger to this podcast and no stranger to hoglets and hedgehogs, as he is also a published poet at the same publishing house as me, the Hedgehog Poetry Press. His last outing on Eat the Storms was for his pamphlet Liar Liar, which was a wonderful commentary on the British government's handling or mishandling of the Covid crisis. Today, thankfully, he is back on the show to share poems from his forthcoming pamphlet, Solastalgia, some of which centre around his involvement in the Lockerbie Pam Ann airline crash in Scotland in 1998. Last week, we read together at the Flight of the Dragonflies spoken word, and I am delighted to welcome him back to the show today. This is Brian McManus. Hi there, this is Brian McManus. Uh, thank you again to Damien for being kind enough to invite me back onto his show. I'd like to read to you two, maybe three poems. These all come in my uh, new collection, Solastalgia, which is out next week. And a bit of a trigger warning here because the first two are a little bit upsetting. Uh, they'll conjure up some difficult images in your mind, I think. But anyway, let's get on. So the first one's called Last Orders. Now, as I was involved many years ago in the aftermath of the Lockerbie bombing, and uh, this is a poem around the latter stages of my involvement down in Lockerbie, just before we all came home. And uh, it's around a conversation that we had in a pub, the Townhead Tavern in Lockerbie, about the friends who we wanted to say goodbye to, although these were friends who we didn't get a chance to, to meet. The poem's called Last Orders. Jimmy paused, then grimaced, tried to smile through half a dozen stumps 
which pass for teeth. We raise the glass, try to reconcile the wrecking ball which laid waste our belief in morals right to triumph over wrong, the bonfire of our certainties, our trust dissipated, squandered, all along just kicked around, left lying in the dust. That night we drank in honour of old friends we'd grown to know like family. More beers? Perhaps we thought the booze might put an end to what had gone before. There were some tears. We'd tramped around our gruesome netherworld, our mindset not to be the first to speak of nagging fears and worries. None of us could bring ourselves to say it. Do you see? Well, anyway, that's how it's meant to be. But what we saw left plenty room for doubt. Later, when the salvage corpse had left, 600 bags of homeless putrid flesh. Before we said adieu to restless days and sleepless nights, we had a wander down to visit at the crater one last time and marked the desolation all around with rolls of six by fours. They'd always be our poignant record, framed without the sound of life or laughter. Here's to you, old friends, we'll always share this sacred common ground. So that was Last Orders. I want to move on now to another uh, difficult occasion. In 2005, and this time, uh, it was the London subway bombings uh, and this poem is in the voice of one of the tragic victims, one of several who ended up trapped under a subway train following the bombing. This is Underground. I lie beneath a train, I cannot feel my legs. Questions pulsing through my brain. I reach out for the threads of consciousness, vitality, the will to stay alive. I concentrate, I try my best, hope that I'll survive. I'm choking now, can't catch my breath. Blood now fills my lungs. Metallic taste, then salty sweet. It's coursing down my throat. I know it's time. I close my eyes. I see a bright blue sky. Our perfect beach. Lapping waves. My happy smiling guy. Now, in a church, I love my dress. The kids stand at my side. I'm tired, though I feel at peace. I don't feel any pain. One final thing before I go. You shouldn't all feel sad. It's what it is. Just promise you'll get on and live your lives. Today will pass as will the fear, the heartache and the strife. I love you all. Please love me back. Time to say goodbye. And finally, just to move away from the more traumatic events. Uh, this is a poem called Antecedents. 
uh, it'll become self-evident as I read the poem uh, what the subject matter is. So how we live measures our own nature, he said, and would say still. That subtle disconnect from womb to tomb, and every day those threads grow tussocky, slow tangled, pause, reflect on all those half-framed thoughts which slipped away, the deeds and actions chalked which never lived, no move from light to luminosity, that spark which never glimpsed nor life to give. Old sins cast the longest shadows, it said, so here we are, bracelets round our hearts and cloistered minds, patrolled by fear and dread of being someone different. Let's march with purpose down our one-way street, caps set against the dying of the light, cobbles bare and rude beneath our feet. Let's make our visit, curse those restless nights. Well, thank you very much for, uh, for listening to that. These poems are all from my new collection, Solastalgia. So, again, just to finish, thanks for uh, inviting me back, Damien. It's always a pleasure to appear on this very popular slow. My final guest on the show today also found us thanks to Carla Civilier and is a retired educator, bilingual, queer, Puerto Rican, trans poet and human rights activist. He is Pushcart nominated, Best of the Web nominated and Best of the Net nominated. He is the founder of Undertow Tanker Poetry Review and is currently working on his first full collection of poems called Elephant Graveyard. Today he brings to eat the Storm's Doze elephants in living rooms and the west side musings of Rita Moreno. This is the incredible Sergio A. Ortiz. A litany. An elephant walked into my bedroom, reciting a litany for survival. She spoke about her mother and sister having died too many deaths that were not their own spoke about winter people taking off their blood masks and monuments for children of war, about hunger and eyeless feet trying to find their way to the sun, about a greedy black unicorn captive in Australia, about having two faces and a simmering frying pan ready to cook up her daughters. She spoke about men with stone eyes fucking in the hallway. Said the hallway was covered with beggars she couldn't step over. Perhaps she wasn't meant to survive after all. For the celebration of Rita Moreno's anniversary, 50th anniversary, a boy like that, Remember the day we found your brother dead on the playground? You should have known. Por las buenas y por las malas, siéntate ahí, mi cielo, moreno. Me parezco a ti solo que esa lucha no era yo. Fui demasiado bajito, too fucking light. Can you believe that? Me? Not white, black enough? No, sweetheart. That's your story. I put on glasses and watched you dance, sing, 
You were in love, or so you said. You should know better. Cuatro culo de botella, and there I was. Dreaming, I saw myself in the mirror for the first time. I knew I could be anything I ever wanted to be because of you. Before I introduce the next guest, I'm going to share a poem with you that is currently in the Bangor Literary Journal's latest issue. It went live last week and this poem is called Diving In at Quai de la Seine and will be part of my Paris collection. It's actually inspired by a photograph I took at Quai de la Seine just outside the cinema where on the wall behind the empty tables it has French quotes like Je t'aime, dégueulasse, which all appear in the poem. Je t'aime, tu sais, you said. À la terrasse, where divers jumped into worn water that wasn't even warm anymore. Dégueulasse, I thought. How willing we are to slip into currents others already caressed. His stream, her flow, there bath those breasts waiting at turned tables to be tasted. Seats still stained with the scent of the previous participants' perspiration. Je t'aime, tu sais, you said. On that terrace as couples climbed out of the cinema and let go of hands. Holes the darkness held so much easier than the cold light tossed back from those worn waters of Let's Basin where divers descended into things previously tasted. Je t'aime, tu sais, you said, and I Embarrassed by a lost breath, held my chest as if something was reaching down inside to pull out the air from the organ. While you glanced around at other tables, what other offerings? Je t'aime, you said. Je sais. My next guest on the show today was first with us in season one and I am overjoyed that he is back again for season two. On Twitter, he refers to himself as the seagoat who screams poetry and jokes constantly about his bleating voice, while in fact being the sea-obsessed queer-identified poet from the shores of New Zealand. But none of this exemplifies the beauty of his poetry. Today bringing us patches of spring in Eden's gardens and that feeling of being an astronaut when you're so far from home. This is a never less than exceptional poet that we all love and adore, also known as Ankh Spice. Kia ora everyone, it's Ankh Spice here from Aotearoa. I'm so happy to be back on this beautiful shiny podcast. Thank you Damien for inviting me back. Um, when Damien asked whether I would read a couple of poems, he said to choose some spring poems, and I will do my best to sound springy, although down in our half of the world it's autumn. But happy spring to everybody up there. The first poem I'm going to read is called Letting Lie. Leave the soft grass fringe unbrushed from meadows' eyes, and watch the humming thumbs of bees sweep tender the skin of the earth. How they trace her freckled daisies left rampant in the sun, 
And when the sun and bees are done, allow the trees, their leaves that ate up sugar light, to drift their fill of crisp. In layered calmness round their feet, the soil sweets. All this magic that we hold, all done by holding back. I'm going to read you a poem that was written as part of the Poem A Day Ekphrastic Challenge that was very kindly run by Paul Brooks on the Wombwell Rainbow site recently. This poem is called Welcome to the Garden and it was inspired by artworks by Jane Corwell in Curfew Roig. I wasn't aware when I was writing it just what it was and then when I went back to it realised that it was a release of a creation myth that's familiar to many of us. Welcome to the garden. The child found the archway and entered the garden. Wet hands pressed brief starfish into the moss, cushioning the bricks as she steadied herself, all new to this walking thing. After her, a green landscape wept thick rain, puddled a creation myth of tardigrades singing for the five tributaries, the goddess who had seen fit to seed them from her baby fingers. You would have said the child carried nothing, and the cloud cataracts of her eyes did not reflect any sky you would recognise. By the third step she had doomed a race of grass-dwelling moons, had startled a new shade of pink to mean evening is inevitable, but also morning will be beautiful and she could replicate the roly-polies of worms being silently valuable, eating and excreting all the riches of her lengthening shadow. There were nine strong stakes planted firmly in the weeds, each hoping out a different kind of leaf that would feed her and hurt her by turns. There was no wrong choice. Nothing was burning. Her grip was very strong now, and the pluck was sure and clean, though the earth sighed from the hole in her side as the thorn eased free. Worms rolled in quietly to fill up the wound. When the child left, the garden was more alive or more dead everywhere she'd ever touched. She carried tenderly her poison and her panacea, and the dark mouth of the arch called... You did everything right. Now you must return. And that held no fear for her at all. Gorky Park, 1999 The ferris wheel spoke in rust, in flakes of twilight. Snared by the hooks of our own hackles, we turned and turned, giddied by the dangerous and squeaky wheel of the wrong hemisphere. The envelope that held our reserves was long torn at the corner, and that moon, that ripped Russian moon, spilled its dust. It settled everywhere and changed nothing. There's a point at which you're so far away from home, you may as well be walking the beams in space, and when the strut broke, we were astronauts, just for a second, weightless. You, my shooting star, trailing glitter and the tether that never truly tied you to anything at all, snapped at long last. When our bodies left the ride, what had trembled inside them remained in orbit. Don't be afraid. It was nothing anyone needed to keep safe. As this is the last episode of season two, Eat the Storms, I'm going to shake things up slightly. And instead of reading a poem to end this episode, I'm going to share with you a very short, short story. This short story was selected by the Ray Darcy RTE programme last year and went into their anthology, A Page from My Life, which was published by HarperCollins. 
This short story is called The Aldi Excursion and documents, for real, my mother and I's first trip to Aldi together. <sighs> We're going to Aldi tomorrow, me and the mother. She started making the list last Sunday. <laughs> She's never been before. The excitement is only bouncing through the freshly aired house. We open the windows here at 11am and then close them again by 3pm in case the cold air gets in. She's preparing like it's a first date. She's looked in the wardrobe now twice for what to wear. Her sister, she wears those jeans with a bit of stretch in them, the ones with the extra bit of comfort. Her other sister only does mocks. An excursion, she's calling it. They've a lovely price on their beans. Not the baked ones, the foreign ones, she says. I know you like your pulses, she says, and I giggle. Anything with a pulse always has potential. I hope they've a good date in them, she remarks. Make sure there's a good date in them, is her staple supermarket comment. She's arranged to pick up for afterwards and notified everyone in the family by phone the exact details of where and when, in case we don't return. The plan is to go mid-afternoon. Because everything is planned mid-afternoon, given a good two or three hours beforehand to get ready and then the whole evening to recover and call everyone to tell them about the day, whether this has been an excursion or not. Mainly not, but the phone calls still go out and come in. Did you do the washing? I did. You did? I did. Did you see the rain? I did. You did? I did. She did. Will I be able to bring me own shopping bags, she asks me. Will they take me credit card, she wants to know. Me credit card? I've never been before, she tells me, and she's off. Calling up the sisters and the cousins just to double check. Do you have your passport, I ask her. And she looks at me and thinks, but eventually catches up. Last night, she was on the phone to the Mary from Tipperary for 35 minutes. The Mary took her through the proposed visit, ran her along the layout each aisle, the best route, the spots to rest, read her the offers of the week, even though they were the offers of last week. Less plotting and planning goes into a bank robbery. Then came the lowdown and the wine. Now, I'm not bigging myself up here, but it felt a little off-centre to hear someone in Tipperary call the mother in Dublin to suggest what wine the son, me, would like. I say it felt a little off-centre because, of course, between the three of us, the mother, the Mary and myself, there's only one of us who ran a bar in Paris, in France, where they make some of the wine. And I can give you two hints. It wasn't the mother of the Mary. Oh, God. Roll on the excursion. Aldi, we're on the way and you have been warned. And just before we come to the end of today's show, as it is the final episode of season two, I can do exactly what I want. So therefore, I'm going to introduce a surprise final guest. A guest who describes herself as an emerging human being trying to be off kilter, off balance, and very definitely a follower of poetry. Of course, what that doesn't say is the light that my next guest radiates, and never did it shine greater than with her appearance on our Christmas episode. The light she shone was brighter than any Christmas tree Gallery Lafayette has ever seen. I am so grateful that she has come back to take a place with us here on Eat the Storms today. Once more, this is the very special, the very unique, and the very wonderful Rona Green. Hello everybody, this is Rona here, and I can't tell you how touched and delighted I am to be invited by you, Damien, to join in on this summer celebration of poetry at Eat the Storms. It's so kind of you to include me and such a special joy to be able to take part in a small way. Last time I said I was a super fan, but actually I think I'm your disciple now. It's just been one of the most joyous experiences of this strangest year to be immersed in all the glorious poems and to have made such lovely friends amongst this really, really beautiful community of poets. 
and to enjoy listening each week as they gather here in this incredibly special place you've created. This little song, little Irish song, The Lark in the Clear Air, which I'm reciting for you, is a combination of um, a poem written in the mid-19th century by Samuel Ferguson, a poet from Belfast, and set to an old Irish air, Kathleen Eulicon or Kathleen Nolan, um, an 18th century rebel song. And it does truly express all the joy and elation I feel for everything that has blossomed here at Eat the Storms and Beyond. You are, each one of you, larks in the clear air, and I am full of adoration for you all. Thank you so much for filling my heart with your poetry. I wish for the summer to be gentle and kind to you all, and for blessings to fall on all your beautiful heads, as softly as blossoms fall from the cherry tree. Dear thoughts are in my mind, and my soul it soars enchanted, as I hear the sweet lark sing in the clear air of the day. For a tender beaming smile to my hope has been granted, and tomorrow he shall hear all my fond heart longs to say. I will tell him all my love, all my soul's pure adoration, and I know he will hear my voice, and he will not answer me nay. It is this that gives my soul all its joyous elation as I hear the sweet lark sing in the clear air of the day. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, men and women, non-conformers and non-believers, gender X and gender equals, we have reached the end of another episode of Eat the Storms, the poetry podcast, the final episode of season two. So thank you so much for joining us so far for 30 episodes of one and two. Thank you so much to my guests today, Ryan Gibbs, Sue Finch, Sergio A., Ank Spice, Brian McManus and Mayor Leonard. As always, for details of all of my stars, please head over to www.eatthestorms.com, click on the podcast section and there you will find a listing for each episode detailing all of my guests, their websites, their bios, their handles, their photos and how you can follow and fall in love with them. Huge congratulations again to the Bangor Literary Journal for their new issue. That is Amy Louise Wyatt and Daniel Paul Rafferty, who are at the helm there in Northern Ireland and doing the most wonderful job. Also, a huge thank you to Gordon Hewitt at The Monthly for his interview with me for their April edition, where I get to talk excitedly about hosting this show. That is part of the CAP, the Community Arts Partnership, which you can find at www.capartscentre.com forward slash monthly. Congratulations are also in order for Nigel Kent and the Flight of the Dragonflies on their Saboteur nominations. Nigel for his poetry collection reviews and Flight of the Dragonflies for their fantastic spoken word Zoom events, one of which happened last Tuesday with the launch of Margaret Royal, David Blyman and Peter A's new and upcoming collections, all former guests here on Eat the Storms. It was an amazing evening and will be happening again next Tuesday when two other former guests from the show, Vic Pickup and Kathy Carson, headline at 7.30. Head over to flightofthedragonflies.com or you can find them on Twitter or on Facebook. 
I would also like to give a huge shout out and thank you to the Fingal County Council for adding me to their list of artist support schemes and they will be partly funding me towards a future collection that will happen later this year that will document my return to live in Ireland after 23 years away. That's once I finish the Paris collection that is thankfully almost done. Okay that is all for me today. Suffice to say thank you so much for tuning in. If you want to be a guest on season three, then please drop me an email at eatthestorms at yahoo.com. It's a very simple task that I ask of you. Just send me an audio file, a fancy photo, a tiny bio, and off we go. For now, that is it. I will be back with you again at the beginning of June. So until then, be safe, be well, catch kisses, catch sunlight, and hold joy for as long as possible. From me, Damien B. Donnelly, thank you so much for tuning in to Eat the Storms. And now it's up to you until we return to stay bloody poetic. <laughs>